What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 205 of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Of course, you know me. I am your host, Armand Lee. Again, wishing everyone a happy holidays. Hopefully, you are about to ring in the new year safely, or if you're listening to this after Saturday night, hopefully, you know, you had a safe night. Uh, you practiced social distancing as best you could. But you kept yourself and your family, your loved ones safe. And I appreciate you bringing the new year or ending 2021 listening to yours truly. And I hope to end or ring in the new year uh, with a bang, with a, a really, really exciting show that I'm very much um, excited to, to share with you all. So much to get to, including a mea culpa to my friends in the Midwest. I did not believe that the Chicago Bulls would live up to the hype, but thus far, I couldn't have been more wrong. I'm going to shower a team that I hated in my youth with nothing but flowers. Windy City Flowers for Zach Levine and the crew. That's coming up in our third quarter. And also, spoiler alert, alert, spoiler alert, if you have not watched Spider-Man No Way Home, do not listen to the fourth quarter. Again, the fourth quarter... Is going to be the last quarter of the show, obviously. And I'm going to break down, um, I guess, my thoughts on a really, really exciting movie. Though some parts, I guess, I was a little bit lost in. But we, we'll take our time in quarter number four. But again, if you have not watched Spider-Man No Way Home, do not listen to the fourth quarter. This is the reason why we break these things down. Hopefully you check the notes before you press press play so you'll be able to see exactly where you could just pause this episode but again the fourth quarter if you have not seen spider-man don't listen to it because it's going to be filled with spoilers all of that and so much more but first we're going to start with the nfl mvp who continues to just run his damn mouth despite being an absolute savant on the field it's our first quarter this week. First quarter. It's so funny to see how quickly the tides turn. And not only just how quick things happen, but for what reason. You may be listening to me and say, yo, Armor, what the hell are you talking about? How does this relate to Aaron Rodgers? Well, I'll tell you. I don't know how long any of you all have been listening to the show. For those of you who have been a day one fan, I appreciate you a great deal. Uh, you've lived through, Lord knows, all types of ups and downs and, you know, adjustments and whatnot. And if you are a newer listener, I want to thank you as well because, you know, there have been a lot of chaotic times, right? Pauses, delays, all types of things. And I appreciate you for running it back. And if this is your first time listening, buckle up, man, because this shit is crazy. But for those of you who have listened to me for, you know, even just a little bit of time, particularly over the summer and after last NFL season, I was fairly critical of Aaron Rodgers. In fact, I remember watching television. And again, the only real sports show that I watch on television, show that I watch on TV would be Get Up, and I watch Get Up from time to time. I can't watch the whole two-hour block because it gets a little bit too, you know, hot takey and scream matchy. But, you know, they do a really good job of balancing the kind of theater and the facts, and I really enjoy that show. 
uh, for the balance that they try to pull off each day. But I remember this offseason and all the analysts on GetUp and all the analysts on SportsCenter and all the analysts on all your favorite television shows were killing the Green Bay Packers front office because how dare anyone stand up to Aaron Rodgers? Like That was the way it was depicted. Aaron Rodgers is this prized possession, which he is, and how dare... I've, the the name of the Packers GM escapes me right now, but how dare he actually try to, you know, stand up to Aaron Rodgers? I mean, it's not like the Green Bay Packers have gone to three straight NFC. Oh shit, they have. It's not like the the Green Bay Packers hosted the NFC Championship game last year. Oh shit, they did. When you look at the way the Packers have been built, what? What could possibly what could Aaron Rodgers possibly want? Ask yourself this question. If Aaron Rodgers were to leave Green Bay, what team would he go to that would be already better than what the, what team he's leaving? If he's upset with like, you know, he wants to be a star and he wants to be a game show host and podcast and, you know, conspiracy theorist, cool. Right? Maybe Wisconsin's not the best place. I don't know. I'm assuming here. But, but but from a football perspective, they haven't failed him, even with the Jordan Love pick. <laughs> you understand? Like, yeah, they moved up to get him, but it's not like there's a deficiency anywhere on that field. That team is built to win and built around him. He's got arguably the best uh, wide receiver in the game. He's got arguably one of the best young defenses in the game. He's got arguably one of the best three offensive lines in the game. If you are a quarterback, what more do you want? You have a young head coach who is offensively minded and very progressive in his play calling, and they seemingly get along with, like, what more could a quarterback want? What more would an organization have to do to prove to Aaron Rodgers, hey, bro, the grass is not part of the pun? Always greener. I remember saying this this offseason, and Bamas was looking at me like I had a fourth eye, a third and fourth eye coming out of my head. I was like, yo, hold on. Why is everybody rushing to defend Aaron Rodgers? Because if I remember correctly, and again, I recently turned 39. I'm getting older, right? Let me know if I'm wrong. But if I remember correctly, it wasn't the defense's fault that they lost that home NFC Championship game last year. Everybody wanted to blame Matt LaFleur because he kicked, he went to kick for a field goal. But mind you, when they were at the goal, it was third and goal. Aaron Rodgers could have tried to run it in for the, like, that's the play that people just, shh, we're not talking about that. Shh. No, 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 we don't talk about the golden boy Aaron Rodgers. I remember coming on this show. I'm like, hold on, y'all. I'm sitting there watching the game with my brother-in-law, and we screaming at the TV, run! This Bama threw a pass that was a tough pass to make, tough catch to make. It was a little bit behind to a guy who's not Devontae Adams. And we were like, okay, that's an incomplete pass. Bro, you could have tried to run it in. You were not the player that you once were 10 years ago, so maybe you wouldn't have gotten the touchdown. But you would have gotten to the damn one, one and a half. 
But this is the same guy. But everyone fell in line. We have to protect Aaron Rodgers. He's the golden boy. He's the guy. There has been this rush, this push to find the NFL's quote-unquote white knight. And what I mean by that, and look, y'all know me. I pull no punches. I'm extremely progressive when it comes to my think, my way of thinking. Extremely. If you are not hurting anyone else, if you're not hurting yourself, go for it. Very, very forward thinking as it pertains to race and other marginalized communities and marginalized individuals and topics as it comes into this country. So understand that as I venture off into my, my next point, my larger point. Since Colin Kaepernick decided to, 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 to voice right his displeasure with our country, correctly so, in the most benign way, since the NFL decided to make an example out of him and blackball Colin Kaepernick, there has been this push from many people like myself who find themselves working in the sports media looking for, again, the quote-unquote white knight, the, the, the NFL white player who will stand alongside the Eric Reeds and the Colin Kaepernicks and the guys who are fighting and we're pushing for social justice and social change and social awareness. Colin Kaepernick knew that his knee or him sitting down wasn't going to change policy. It wasn't going to change hundreds upon hundreds centuries of American racism. Hey, come on, let's give this man some credit. He wanted to bring awareness, and he did. But the NFL was like, okay, we're going to get your ass all the way the fuck up out of here. And despite that you'll be a wealthy man, and this will make you infamous, and you're, you will have a lasting legacy far greater than anything that any football player could have ever imagined. Right, Colin Kaepernick's legacy will live on so long, so much longer than any contemporary that he has, longer than the Cam Newton or Russell Wilson, you know, like Peyton Manning, even because it's it will grow larger than just a sport. But we were looking who's the white knight, who's going to be the white guy who's going to stay it, and Chris Long was the one. He was the first guy to literally stand by Malcolm Jenkins and he didn't take a knee. He didn't raise a, he just kind of put his arm on Malcolm Jenkins. Like, like, <laughs> you feel me? Like the, we was just at, Hey man, can a white dude do something? Can a white guy who makes a lot of money playing alongside these black dudes who are screaming and crying and begging for people just to, Hey man, y'all like shit's fucked up. <laughs> That's all we were saying. Brave, man. You look around, man. It's just fucked up. It took a man being killed by a police officer kneeling on a man's neck for nine minutes with his hands in the pocket for white people to be like, oh, man, shit, maybe they got a point. Oh, and it, and, and it took a global pandemic to force everybody to watch that video over and over again. I digress. I'm getting off the point. We were begging for just any white NFL star to just say, hey, we acknowledge you because you can pull that shit to Colin Kaepernick 
because Colin Kaepernick wasn't a star at this point. He was a he was one of the best thirty two quarterbacks in the league, but he won't want a top ten guy. And we all thought that that white knight was going to be Aaron Rodgers because, oh, my God, Aaron Rodgers is so progressive. Oh, my gosh, he's such a thinker. He's so intellect, he's so intelligent and intellectual. And, oh, my gosh, he's, he's such a different. He walks to the beat of his own drum. And the NFL media, because of this assumption that they had about Aaron Rodgers, they just kind of fell in line. And let's also not forget, and I don't want to diminish this, this motherfucker's a Beast on the football field. You can say whatever you want about Aaron Rodgers. That sentence at the beginning of the story, that motherfucker was cold. <laughs> he complains. He's got this kind of like this, you know, this victim right syndrome where he's never at fault. Whatever, right? People blow smoke up your ass long enough, you're going at some point you're gonna like it. I get that. But there was a push and a rush to anoint Aaron Rodgers, this white knight of social justice. And this is the man, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers never did shit. I don't know why. Maybe it's the juxtaposition between he and Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, obviously, famously, infamously had the MAGA hat in his locker room. People never got off that shit. Obviously, been bent, big, big Ben Roethlisberger. Was it Trump's? So people just never got off that shit in terms of the star white quarterback. So it was literally Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. They put it up against each other. Aaron Rodgers literally never said shit about any of that. I think the, the furthest Aaron Rodgers got when it came to um, speaking out about marginalized people was um, this, this, uh, I believe it was, a, un, a, a, a forgive me because I do not know the particulars, but there was a unfortunate incident about a Muslim and Muslim people and Aaron Rodgers did speak out about that now not to diminish or try to trivialize any other group's plight right because Lord knows our Muslim brothers and sisters they've been going through it for quite a while in any advocate or ally that can can lend a hand to them and help their community is very much welcome but when people are asking you to speak out about injustice in within the black community in a league where you're the biggest star or one of the two biggest stars and your teammates are overwhelmingly black and you say nothing, yet you get the praise as someone who is fighting the good fight. I always found that to be a little bit suspicious. Now, y'all right now, at this point, I'm 12 minutes and 40 seconds into this first quarter. Y'all may think, yo, Armand, you tripping, bro. Have you been drinking? Because you're rambling right now. I don't find this isn't coherent. Just wait. Just walk with me a bit. So Aaron Rodgers, despite the fact that he has never spoke out, to my knowledge, about Colin Kaepernick and the plight of the black American in this country and his teammates who are overwhelmingly black, he was anointed the white knight, this progressive hero, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers has been blessed with the team. Well, there are no holes. The team has gone to consecutive NFC championship game, even hosted the NFC championship game last year. Defense forced three consecutive 
second half turnovers from Tom Brady. That never happens. He lost. They blamed the general manager. They even blamed the head coach. Didn't get a didn't get a lick. Didn't get a whiff of criticism for his own shortcomings. This offseason, how dare the Green Bay Packers not budge and not tip and bow their head, you know what I mean, at Aaron Rodgers, the, the, the Lord and Savior of football in this 21st century. You know what I mean? Like, it was, they picked, they, they, these are journalists, mind you, many in many instances. Just basically bowing the head, bowing the knee, just praising and worshiping Aaron Rodgers. How dare the Green Bay Packers not let this player run roughshod over their team. And then a funny thing happened. Aaron Rodgers, the, the quote-unquote progressive white knight, the saint, he gets on Pat McAfee's show and says this shit about vaccination and um, I forget what the phrase was, but he alluded to being vaccinated when he wasn't. And then that started a whole shit show. And then at that moment, the media was like, all right, well, fuck this guy. Now that I think, now that you want to be anti-vax, guess what? Your team is pretty good, Aaron Rodgers. You could have ran it in from the, the seven-yard line back in that NFC Championship. And maybe you're not as good as we've, we've been building you up to be. Newsflash, he's actually better, but whatever. The media, in a moment's notice, we just did a complete 180 when it came to Aaron Rodgers. And look, I have been on this shit for a while now. Aaron Rodgers has struck me as a guy who's like, dog, he's a beast on this field, but he's he jock kind of asshole, bro. I've been said this. Doesn't mean he's less of a great player. He's still a great player. If you're a Packer fan, you should be happy. You have the league MVP. You have one of the guys who are who is built to win the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year. And there's not that many of them out there. You have one. But I have an issue with why there has been such a swing, such a wild swing, a complete 180. You see this shit with LeBron. I love LeBron. LeBron's one of my favorite players ever. And LeBron absolutely cares about social justice as it pertains to black people in America, particularly children. And he has put his time, his money, where his mouth is. But LeBron is obsessed with being this advocate for all people all the time. And you see, he gets himself into shit. He's in waters that are far too deep for him. He too says dumb shit about vaccinations. When he should just shut the fuck up. LeBron, you did great shit when it comes to bringing attention to social injustice within the black community and racial disparities, criminal justice system, all of this stuff. You're doing a great job with that. But once you start walking there, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like the Bible, like, hey, y'all like that? Watch this. I'm going to keep on going. And like he's, he's got the crowd riled up. So now he feels like, oh, shit, well, let me try this. Nah, Joe, don't try that shit because you sound stupid, okay? And I love LeBron. You sound stupid sometimes, bro. But the point is, these guys that get so caught up in the hype, 
Unlike Aaron Rodgers, LeBron loves the adoration and the cheers and the and the and the support that he gets when he does speak up. But he doesn't have that ability to be like, hey, you know what? Let me chill the fuck out right now. Cause this shit, I don't know. Let me give you a personal example. My sister and my brother-in-law, two of the smartest people that I know. We'll have conversations, we'll be talking, boom, boom, boom. But sometimes, and this is not me being self-deprecating. I find myself to be a very, very intelligent person, right? Very intelligent. I'm not smart like them, right? That's not a knock on me. That's literally lifting up my loved ones and identifying something that's quite clear. My sister and my brother-in-law are very, very brilliant individuals. So guess what happens when they start talking that, that brilliant talk? Guess what I do? I shut the fuck up. <laughs> you understand? And guess what happens? When people who are talking, who are brighter than you, not saying that you're not bright, but they're always going to be people stronger, faster, right? Better cooks. These people just happen to be smarter than most of us. But when you listen to smart people engage, guess what? You pick up some knowledge. Aaron Rodgers, he played it brilliantly. Everybody was raving and talking about how he's this, that he didn't say a fucking word. Just picked up all these bonus points, right? And like, like a Mario. And he would have been cool. But then that motherfucker got on Pat McAfee's show and started talking about this anti-vax stuff. And then it was like, oh, wow, this is the guy. This is the guy that y'all thought was going to be an advocate for Colin Kaepernick, despite the fact that he never was an advocate for Colin Kaepernick. I don't ask me how he was able to weave that shit. Didn't lift a fucking finger, but got all the praise in the world. And everyone in the, in the sports NFL media rushed to defend Aaron Rodgers, not just because he was great, because he's still great now. Look at how different he is talked about now than just six months ago. Seven, eight months ago. It's not like there's been a drop-off. He was the MVP last year. He's probably going to win the MVP this year. So ask yourself, why has the media changed and shifted in how they talk about Aaron Rodgers? And the only thing you can come up with is him being anti-vax. And look, him being anti-vax is stupid. Like I'm with you. That's, he sounds fucking stupid. But that shouldn't change the way you feel about the player. Because I don't know why y'all felt this so, so highly about him off the field any fucking way. And if, I'm, and if I am allowed to kind of look from the perspective of someone who is not liberal, not nearly as liberal as I am, I get why there's a certain animosity toward the quote-unquote liberal media. Because what you see is kind of what they're talking about, right? And this has nothing to do with politics. Just walk with me a bit. Aaron Rodgers was the love child of the NFL media up until October 2021. He makes one, he makes several stupid comments about the vaccination policy. Comments, he's okay. I mean, he's, he's more than welcome to make. He don't believe in this shit. All right, man, fuck it, dog. That's on your head. 
You know what I'm saying? Hey, whatever. Uh, I don't know why we care what fucking foot. Have you ever met a football player? Do this social experiment. Meet the meet and find a football player. Meet them, and the first one you find, take their advice on the first twenty things they tell you to do. No matter what, they say twenty things. You do those twenty things. And if you live to see the next day, please write me and let me know how awful that experience was. Because of course not, we're not gonna fucking follow football players. <laughs> you understand? We ain't gonna follow none of these motherfuckers. So who cares if Aaron Rodgers is stupid when it comes to the vaccination policy? He's not even out there like that. It's not like he's carrying the flag of anti-vaxxers. He's doing his shit. He ain't really wanna talk about it. You feel me? I don't need people to lead the way. I don't need athletes to lead the way when it comes to medicine. Because there's a whole bunch of fucking athletes who are saying, let's get vaccinated, guys. Come on. There's a whole bunch of Carl Anthony Towns. Y'all don't like to talk about them. So y'all don't fucking care. Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, so we're going to talk about the sexy salacious shit. This is going to be helpful for every single listener to this show. Don't fucking listen to an athlete. You have paid scientists, doctors telling you, hey, man, this is what we should be doing. You can listen to them. Who gives a fuck what Aaron Rodgers says? But if him being an idiot anti-vaxxer is enough to literally change the perception and how he's covered and how we talk about the front office, the front office... The same people were killing in the offseason. They haven't done anything different. They were in the NFC Championship game last year. Like, I get why people are like, yo, man, what the fuck is going on? Like, wh why y'all? Why the, the 180? I get why people are confused. Hell, I'm confused. I'm still confused why the NFL media wanted to anoint Aaron Rodgers as this savior to begin with. Reminder, he never said shit. He never did a thing. And we were ready to build him up as the anti-Brady. Oh, he's he's the white knight. He's the guy. Never took it. And fuck taking a knee now. Obviously, they done watered that shit down. That don't even mean anything. But when the, when the heat was on, when there was pressure, though there would never have been pressure on Aaron Rodgers, he ain't do shit. But now they, their feelings are hurt because he's an anti-vaxxer. Because of course he's a fucking anti-vaxxer. Look at this motherfucker. The guy don't talk to his family. The dude is weird. He been weird. We've all known this. But being an anti-vaxxer was, that was it. Out of all the things that Aaron Rodgers been up to, him being an anti-vaxxer, that's where they draw the line. The fuck? I don't care about Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I like to watch him on Sunday. He's a great player. He's a great football player. As it pertains to his personal life, don't give a fuck. As it pertains to his status, uh... Vaccination status, how he feels about the vaccine, don't care. Never said shit about social justice, don't care. I don't care. 
But you got to ask yourself, why do the voices at Espen and at Fox Sports, why do they care so much? If you have any answers, I'm all ears because the, the complete heel turn of Aaron Rodgers, despite the fact that he's still a great football player and that the Packers are still a great team, is just odd to watch in real time. But if you have any answers, best guests, I'm all ears. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. We spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. All right, so we're going to move away from the gridiron and step into the music realm because y'all motherfuckers, Lord and Savior, Jay-Z, y'all let, I mean, think about it. Y'all let this motherfucker call himself Jehovah. <laughs> Lord have mercy. He jumped out there in a Twitter space interview with Alicia Keys last week and, and jumped out there butt-ass naked saying that no one would be able to see him in a versus competition. Y'all already know how I feel about this, but I need to devote an entire quarter on this topic, and we will do so in our second topic this week. Second quarter. One of the biggest takeaways um, since COVID started in 2020, and I guess one of the biggest cultural phenomenons in, I don't know what, the last 21, 22 months has been, um, you know, the introduction of this versus concept uh, by Swiss Beats and Timbaland. And, you know, we've talked about it a little bit in the past. Um, I liked it as it started, definitely as a um, means to social distance and, and still have a community. And the initial ones when they were still separated were very, very, I thought, I just thought it was a dope idea, a dope concept and a way for people to adjust to the, the, the new reality of social distancing, being safe, but yet still having fun. We can have the debate about uh, the commercialization of versus and how it has changed and now it's a performance and a, and a concert and all of the extenuating circumstances and um, ramifications that follow. But actually, honestly, we could have it, but we won't because that doesn't necessarily interest me. And I don't necessarily feel it's the, um, it's just a topic worth having on this platform. You want to have my, hear my ideas, hit me up, you know, email me at quarterly report at gmail.com or tweet at the show. But as it pertains to just the phenomenon of a versus battle, like now, it has kind of seeped into mainstream pop culture. So much so that Jay-Z is doing a uh, Twitter spaces is what they call it, I believe. Having a spaces with Alicia Keys. And for whatever reason, I didn't listen to it. I've just kind of read different articles uh, after the fact. But Hove comes out and says, yo, Someone asks him about a versus potential versus matchup with anybody. He's like, nobody could stand on the stands, stand on the same stage, excuse me, with Jay in a versus competition. All right. You feel me? I, I don't necessarily feel as if I don't know exactly how to feel. I, I mean, I feel that like that's incorrect. I've talked about this in the past. I think that there are probably several really compelling, interesting uh, versus battles that you could put with Jay-Z. And there's just so many people. 
when you talk about Jay Z, it's a lot of it's a lot like when I was growing up and people would just worship at the altar of Michael Jordan. We literally had children singing a song saying they wanted to be like a man who had never met his flawed, just like everyone else. And, and the, the myth of Michael Jordan over the decades has grown to this point now. And Scotty Pippen got his own shit. But on some level, I understand where Pip is coming from because for decades, it's literally been Michael Jordan won in spite of Scottie Pippen. When if anyone who is rational and unbiased would recall, you would be like, no, 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 no. Scottie Pippen was integral. It was an integral part of all of the Bulls' success. We don't need to rehash that argument, relitigate that. We understand the stats uh, with and without Pip, all that stuff, not doing it. But I understand... I get the the infatuation. I I get the almost cult-like following. And it's very similar to Hove. I don't think Jay-Z is the greatest rapper of all time, but no one can deny his impact, his longevity, his success, right? You can't. His hits there and and his ability he may not be my favorite rapper but there's nobody who could legit say hove can't rap there are things about jay in his catalog that i wish he would have done when he was like among the top active artists now he kind of sits on this kind of throne if you will i don't want to say pedestal but he sits a he has accumulated, he has amassed all of this power, and now he feels comfortable kind of leading in a way where a lot of his contemporaries, though they did not have the commercial success at the time, but they were always making music that was more than this, let me just showcase my talent and every now and then show you my depth, but it's surrounded just by, by all this superficial nonsense, right? Like... It's hard for me to listen to Jay-Z now and, and try to talk about this kind of leadership and black consciousness and all of this now when in his heyday, he had peers like Nas, Black Thought, Common. None of them, none of them with the commercial success of Soul, but all of them, each of them, as talented as a lyricist as Hove, as creative as a songwriter as Hove, but they had the added and like they had the added note of I'm going to talk about things that all these other rappers are either too afraid of or are too concerned about not selling enough records to do it. Like that to me, and I'm I just named those three guys off the top. I mean, there's so many more. You could go to most. You could go, I mean, like, I don't want to start naming because then I'm going to leave someone off. Hell, even someone like Ice Cube, right, who was, came out as this super hard gangster rapper, boom, 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 but he was talking about things that most rappers just wouldn't do. And again, that's a, a little bit too early for Hov, like, when Cube was 
hot, hot. That was early 90s. Hope really got on mid 90s. Um, but you get the point. Anyway, that's the scenic route to get to this point. I get why Hope feels that way. It, I think it tells you a lot about him. Like the people who are very confident, the people who are most secure, you can be like, there's so many ways to be like, man, you know what? I'm comfortable with my catalog. It's going to be a tough day for anybody. Or you can be like, you know what? I, I like, I love to hear people say that. There's so many talented musicians and artists. It's not for me. I'm comfortable with my catalog. But you know what? I, I like to hear that so many people are interested in trying to figure out who would be the best battle. There's so many ways to answer that question if you are secure, if you're genuinely secure in who you are and what you bring to the table, right? Like imagine, we do these super fights and super competitions all the time. Oh man, what happens if Muhammad Ali fights Mike Tyson or if Mike Tyson fought Lennox, or not Lennox Lewis, obviously, but if, you know, uh, Floyd Mayweather fought this guy or, you know what I'm saying, if Roy Jones Jr. in his prime fought this and the guys who are the most secure. Like, I love listening to Andre Ward talk. The most recent one is, you know, Ward and Golovkin. And, and you've heard Ward say this. And I think it's because he actually tried to make this fight. And behind the scenes, he understands what it is. And he's like, look, man, Gennady Golovkin is a phenomenal fighter. That fight could have happened, but it didn't. It would have been fun. Boom, 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 boom. The people who are the most secure aren't like there's nobody who could ever see because that's that kind of bravado is a built up almost armor or a, a built up kind of arm of security that is there only because of the insecurity, right? You have to overcompensate in some in regards. You listen to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar talk about the greatest basketball players of all time. He's like, man, it's harder to say. It's hard to say. I don't know. But there's so many phenomena. It's never about him versus... He never does it. You hear... look, Even Jordan. Even when you listen to Jordan talk about it. He's, he always says, you can't do it. Whereas LeBron... LeBron always talks about being the best. And always talks about his legacy. And maybe all of these guys believe it. But they don't say it out loud. It's almost like a, a an open nerve, an open wound. LeBron just can't help himself. And I think it's because he's very much insecure about his legacy in his place. And when you look at kind of what he had to endure before this point in his, at the end of his career, when you look at LeBron James and how he was covered, even in his prime, I think you can understand why he would be so insecure. But this is not a conversation about LeBron, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. This is a this is not even a conversation about security or not. This is a conversation about what Jay-Z literally said. He doesn't think anyone can see him in a versus competition. And dog, y'all have heard me say this. Y'all have heard me say this time and time again. I think there are a number of there are a number of people who could absolutely see Hove in a competition. But I'm so sick of hearing and reading. On my timeline, all these dusty-ass Yankees act like Little Wayne does not exist. Dog, I don't care how many fucking Yankee, New York Yankee and New Era hats you have. I don't care how great you think Derek Jeter is. 
You feel me? <laughs> I don't. Hey, we both probably like the Knicks. So what? Dog. Let me, let me, let me, let me, you know what? Let me not come at it in such an aggressive manner. Let me start with love. I understand why New Yorkers and people in the Northeast, particularly in that tri-state area. Look, hip hop is literally the only piece of black culture that did not start in the South or the West. And even in the West, you know, that the Great Migration, all that stuff comes from the South. So really, from the South, hip-hop is literally, maybe there's some other things that I'm just not aware of, but it feels like hip-hop is the only piece of black culture that did not start in the South. So I get why New Yorkers and people in the Northeast region of this country are so protective over it. I get it, as they should be. Like, like they created something that has lasted the test of time. They created something that people were dismissing, that no one thought was going to have legs and was going to be the powerhouse that it is all of these decades later. You know, I'm reading an article and I'm thinking like, you know, they're saying like, yo, our grandparents, they used to hum and always sing, you know, Sam Cooke or, you know, James Brown or whatever the case may be. And now we are now the generation of people who will be humming, you feel me, outcast. Like, my daughter is 11 years old now. If she ever chooses to have children, I'm going to be the grandparent who's humming the old songs, the oldies, and my oldies are going to be hip-hop. That's a, that's a fucking amazing statement to just think about. So I get why the New Yorkers feel the way they feel about Hove because... Even though I'm a Nas stan to some degree, Nas never saw the success that Hov did. Hov was literally one of the few New York artists who could go anywhere and perform, who could drop any time and be successful. And unlike God Bless the Dead X, who had a more supercharged run, it was very limited. Hov's run lasted over a decade, just straight. So we want to pay homage and respect and understand his run, particularly given the, the, ge the geography of this country and how he was able to sustain his run. It's something that needs to be respected and honored, particularly in the hip hop community. Bong. But what New Yorkers fail to realize is that though they may not have been big, it took a long time for people in the Northeast to appreciate the West and the South. The overwhelming number of black people in this country are not in the tri-state area. They are in the West and the South. So, Unless this potential hypothetical versus happens in Madison Square Garden, you start looking around like, okay, because understand this. I think Jay-Z is a better rapper than, than, than Lil Wayne, but we can't act like there aren't swaths of this country, not pockets, but entire regions where Wayne would not have to get out of his hot boy bag for about six, seven songs. And there's not really anything Hov would have 
consistently to beat it. Anytime I talk about this, anytime I talk about it, and again, I've talked about this in the past, and you may not even be a big Lil Wayne fan. That's cool. But if Wayne starts out a potential 20-song versus competition with Hov, and his number one song is Back That Ass Up, mind you, he's on the song, featured, Drop It Like It's Hot. No, I am unfamiliar of anyone saying Drop It Like It's Hot before a 14, 15-year-old Wayne. People still say that to this day. Back that ass up could literally be his number one. You can't come back with Encore. <laughs> you can't come back with Dead Presidents, Brooklyn's Finest. All of these are great songs, mind you. You start off in a hole. Again, if Wayne wanted to go five songs, just hot boy shit, you got Back That Ass Up, you got Number One Stunner, you got Bling Bling, you got Hot Girls, you got, you feel me? Like there's a there's a large pocket of this country who was like that's they shit, and not a small part at all. And understand that's the very 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 beginning of this man's catalog. He ain't even touched the Drake shit. He ain't even touched the DJ drama. We haven't even gotten to the mixtape Wayne shit. We haven't gotten to the the, the the DJ Khaled and Rick Ross Wayne shit. Like, there's just so many errors of this guy. You talk about longevity. Wayne's longevity is just as long, if not longer, than O's. Impact. You can't listen to new this generation, just this generation's era of hip-hop without hearing the influence of Wayne. None of these guys. No one. Don't care who. It can be the, the quote-unquote mumble rapper that you may not respect, all the way up to Kendrick Drake Cole. He is, his DNA is in all these guys. Impact? Success? Dog, come on. <laughs> Tiger, Nikki, Drake. That's all you got to say about when it comes to impact. Come on, bro. So, when I hear these New Yorkers, you know, God bless y'all. Again, I empathize with you. But when I hear Bama's like, oh, man, no one can see Hove. None of these Southern Bama's can see Hove. And I'm thinking to myself, I get why you're so upset. The holiday season just passed. And you know, your auntie from the South or your uncle from the South probably did not come up to New York or Jersey or wherever to cook. So you had to eat that dry ass mac and cheese from your moms or your pops who's from New York too. The soupy ass greens and the flavorless chicken. You had to eat all of that. No potato salad. Some quarter water to drink. No sweet tea. Nothing. Because you feel me? Your southern family couldn't come up because of the pandemic. I get why you're frustrated. I get why you upset because your girl has to walk in Tim's for you know, three hundred days after you know during the during the, the fall and winter time, she's got Tim's feet are ashy. You probably feel away. I get it, but don't take that out on on other, on the entire southern region and and artists because you got to deal with that shit in New York. You chose that life just because you can't have any flavor for Thanksgiving. And Christmas doesn't mean you got to take that frustration out on Lil Wayne. 
Dog, we're talking just 20 songs. And again, this is not to dismiss Hove. Hold Hove at a high regard. But if unless this hypothetical versus matchup happened in New York, New Jersey, in that Northeast region, where are you going to go? And what songs are you going to have that you could say without a shadow of a doubt, Hope, no one can see Hope. Like Wayne could not see Hope. You out your fucking mind. That makes no sense at all to me or any reasonable unbiased person. And again, let me make this perfectly clear. I think Hove, I think Hove is a better rapper than Wayne. I like Nas far more than I like Hove, but I think Hove would beat Nas in the verses. So my bias, though they exist, I'm putting them all the way to the side. If we are just strictly talking about hits, big songs, lyricism, whatever the case may be, I personally think Wayne puts hands and feet all on Jay-Z. Unless they are performing, because you know Wayne, he's just not the, I don't know where his mental, where he's at mentally. But if we just picking songs the way the versus battles started initially last year and during the quarantine, it's not last year, I'm all fucked up, in 2020, I don't see it. I don't see how anybody can think that no one can see Hove in the competition, let alone someone like Wayne. But I want to hear from you all. Let me know if you agree with me. Or maybe, you know, you drinking the Derek Jeter, Lawrence Taylor juice, and you so New York with it. Dog, if Jay-Z plays New York State of Mind, or whatever that song was, New York, the John with the Alicia Keys, he getting his ass crushed unless you playing it in the garden. You can't play that nowhere else. I'm trying to think of the 20s. Y'all clearly have a certain uh, playlist that you think that Hove could just boom, pull out, and he mops everybody else. I'm trying to understand that list. Because I could come up with a whole bevy of Wayne songs, and it's just like, all right, I, I'm not saying all of these playlists would win, but you telling me no one can stand on that same stage with them? She. All right, y'all, y'all heard the horn. That means we're at halftime this week. And this week in halftime, man, there's no other topic that I felt I needed to address than the Antonio Brown situation. And, you know, we're going to do things a little bit differently this week because typically, right, we use humor or some type of parody in halftime just to break up the monotony. But I really just kind of want to sit and, and discuss Antonio Brown just for a brief minute before we get back to the, the second half. Because what we saw in New York this past weekend, it's easy to kind of dismiss. It's easy to kind of laugh at and point your finger. And then on the flip side, it's also easy to be like, oh, my gosh, this is mental health. And to 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 be over, I don't want to say overly concerned, but to be over over overcome with concern and 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 you know to worry about the player because it is so unique i think the only thing that is even remotely similar is what vonte davis i remember he was playing for the bills and then at halftime he retired 
and just left. That's the only thing that I can think of as a reference. And that's not even apples to apples, but that's the closest thing that I can think of when it comes to Antonio Brown's situation, where the man in New York literally takes his, his jersey and his pads off, takes his shirt off, throws it into the stands, throws his gloves into the stands, and just walks out on his team. Takes an Uber from the stadium. Just leaves. Two weeks before this, the postseason starts. Literally in a Super Bowl run, just leaves. So no matter where you stand in the spectrum of how absurd and how funny it may be or how concerned and how worried you may be, this is... This is something that I don't, I'm, I'm literally at a loss, at a loss, because in many respects, I do kind of want to be like, yo, this is wild. Let's let's laugh. That's my default. I always try to find humor in something. Many times it may be inappropriate, but that's just the way I'm wired. But I'm also someone who doesn't want to dismiss like true, genuine concern because it's hard to look at Antonio Brown's behavior and be like, yo, something's up. But my level of concern, my level of sympathy can't reach but so high with AB because of particularly some of the stuff he did with it, you know, the mother of his child. It's been some odd behavior, but though those type of notes are bothersome for me, if you look at the totality then it's hard to ignore, okay, something is wrong here. The guy is still a phenomenal player, clearly. And because he's so great, it has allowed him to, to kind of continue this behavior. What happened with the Raiders should have been enough. What happened with the Patriots should have been enough. Hell, when you look at what he did in Pittsburgh for all those years, that should have been an alarm. But because he's so talented, people brush it aside. Everybody silenced the, 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 the criticisms and the questions that they had to have been there. The red flags were placed down. And because he can catch footballs and score touchdowns, guess what? This behavior was rewarded in many, in, uh, in many ways. So then he has this whole thing with his the child's mom that went off season, and it was very, very concerning, alarming. Somebody in the league specifically should have stepped in. He sat down for a few weeks, and then he was right back in it. And then now he pulled a fake vaccination card. His chef turned him in, slap on the wrist. So in many ways, if someone... If something is wrong, and I think most of us feel that way, and again, I'm not telling you should feel sympathy or empathy with Antonio Brown, but there is something there. I think we all can identify that there's an issue there. And he's been coddled along the way. Well, of course, he's going to continue to push the boundaries, see how far he can get away with things. And that results to him literally walking off the field, walking away from his team. I doubt that Antonio Brown gets another chance in the NFL, though I'm sure he's going to ask for one. Because again, he's a young man and he's still very, very good. And 
I'm sure someone will work him out because that's the way these things always go. But before, just some food for thought before we move on to the second half. Before you get excited about potentially claiming him on a waiver wire, your favorite team, or maybe getting excited about potentially picking him up in your fantasy team, maybe we should just start considering whether playing is the right thing for AB because I'm convinced it isn't. And I've been this way for quite a while. But he's going to continue to do behavior like this. He's going to continue to do behavior that's probably worse than this as long as he gets coddled, as long as he knows he can. So let's change up the dynamics because it's not just his play on the field that worries me. It's his life and those of the people who he is closest to. That concerns me more than any potential Super Bowl run that would be cut short. All right, y'all, that's halftime. A little bit different this week, but I wanted to make sure I didn't get lost in a sketch, right? Because this was so bizarre and everybody has their takes and I'm not saying that you can't laugh at it because when I saw it, I laughed. And I'm also not saying that you can't take this as a serious incident because you just heard. I'm worried like shit. However you best deem or deem best to handle this situation is the way you need to do it. But I think we need to look at both sides of the coin, not just in humor and not just in concern. I think something's wrong and I hope the league and teams understand that giving him another chance isn't going to solve anything. But it's time for me to solve something that's bothering me deep inside as we move ahead to the third quarter. And it's a, something that I feel is, is a plague within society, but specifically the sports world at large. And it crept up to me this past year. And I want to make sure I stomp that thing out, nip it in the bud as soon as I can. So I'm going to do that in our third topic this week. Third One of the things that I don't like about the way sports is packaged nowadays, at least the way it's covered, is that too many times the analysts, the, the hosts, the talking heads, whomever, they'll, they'll, they'll ride a perspective. They'll sit on a viewpoint, a hot take, however you want to classify it. And then despite clear evidence that they were wrong, there's never a mea culpa. There's never a, you know what? I had that one wrong. It's like, yo, Slim, no one is perfect. It's, I mean, we've all had the conversations with our friends, our family members, whomever, strangers in the barbershop, wherever, whatever. And like, yo, I think this person is, you know, the best. He should have been an MVP. She should have won the race, this, that, the third, whatever the case may be. And then over time, the evidence changes, the data changes. We have an end result. And it's cool to be like, yo, I had that one wrong. But far too often now, Bama's is so caught up in thinking that they are the stars when in reality, the athletes are. So you have Skip Bayless for close to two decades, excuse me, saying that LeBron James is overrated, where it's clear that LeBron James is one of the however few best players of all time, right? Like, But 
it, hey, God bless him. It makes him money. He has now positioned himself quite well for him and future generations, his loved ones, whatever the case may be, God bless. But that's where we are now, right? And everybody now is trying to be the next skip. Find an athlete who is clearly successful and then throw something against the wall and hope it sticks. I love Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman is one of the best boxing minds, just not just in, you know, on TV, but in sport. Truly respect his boxing mind, his opinion. We've talked about this in the past. The politics can get in play, but when you when you just catch Max, like some of these bombers got like the, the YouTube stuff, and he's not on television. He doesn't feel like he has to present a perspective. You just get him in a in a room, talk about boxing, he's gonna give it up. And he's so smart at it that you feel like you have come away with a gem that you may not have had before. But Max Kellerman famously was like, yo, Tom Brady is going to fall off a cliff. This was like three Super Bowls ago. <laughs> Tom Brady has won three or four Super Bowls since Max Kellerman famously said he's going to hit a cliff. Now, to Max's credit, he was like, all right, yeah, I was wrong. But that's after he won three or four Super Bowls, right? Like, that's the thing. I say all of that to say this defines the sports fan that I am. And in many ways, it defines why I've done this podcast, why I do this podcast, why I started it. I don't want to be the person who I complain about. So, I was wrong about the fucking Chicago Bulls, y'all. These bombers are playing their asses off. I did not think that the Bulls were going to be a quality team. And half were close to halfway through the season, not only are they a quality team, they are playing some of the best, or at least some of the most fun brand style of basketball this season. And I'm going to start from the top. Like, I remember when the Bulls traded for Nikola Vucevic, excuse me. And like, Vucevic is a good player. This happened last year. Traded for Vuce, they traded Wendell Carter, and I want to say two first round, future first round picks. That's a lot for a player like Vooch, who's not, you know, he's not a spring chicken. Good player, not a great player. But they wanted to show Zach Levine, the guy that they have identified as their centerpiece, that, yo, we're in, we're committed to putting forth the money and building something that in some capacity could win, right? So they made the move for Vooch at the deadline last year. I came on this show, was like, nah, that's not the move. And they missed the playoffs after that trade. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, the Bulls are kind of this interesting team. You know, they've got talent, but all of their talent is on offense. They've got guys who score, but not guys who do other things, the things that are needed to have true success. And their scores, while good, they're not great. Zach Levine is a phenomenal basketball player. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not Steph Curry. He's not Giannis. You understand this? He's not LeBron. There's a there's a significant significant drop off. So the offseason happened. Again, they lost their pick because they traded it for Vooch. And you're looking like, okay, well, how are they going to improve this roster? A roster that didn't make the playoffs, didn't even make the play-in. And then they signed Lonzo Ball. And I was like, that's a phenomenal move. 
Lonzo Ball, because he's not big on points per game, he's criminally undervalued. So they were able to sign him to an extremely friendly team con- team friendly contract. I don't know why the Pelicans decided to let him go, but whatever, that's their loss. The Bulls get Lonzo, young, um, ascending talent, a guy who defends, a guy whose primary uh, goal on the court is to set other players up. So when you have a guy like Levine and you have a guy like Vucevic, players who only look to score, well, then you're going to need those secondary guys who are not looking just to shoot. Because everybody in this day and age, for the most part, is looking to to that that 20 point per game margin. They want to show the world that they can score because unfortunately that's the only way we know how to value players is how many points they average. So the Bulls were very smart in identifying Lonzo, a young player, a player who is getting better and a player who's undervalued. So you can sign them to a long-term contract, doesn't hurt your cap. These are the moves that you need to do. And I remember at the time being like, yo, the Lonzo signing was great. Here's where I fucked up again, though. The Bulls' next move was DeMar DeRozan. And DeMar DeRozan is a very interesting player because he's the guy in years past who I would identify as, yo, you're a PPG king. You score all these points, but it doesn't relate to to wins. Now, it's not his fault that, you know, He's not Kawhi Leonard. But again, you do kind of have to say, yo, DeMar DeRozan was in Toronto and we made fun of that team for years. The Raptors went to the Eastern Conference Championship, but they were still dismissed. The moment they trade DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, they won a championship. And again, there's nothing wrong with not being as great as Kawhi Leonard. But that's part of the resume. He goes to San Antonio. San Antonio gets run in the worst period of their time. And the Spurs, when you if you if you do subscribe to plus minus, they were outscoring their opponents when DeMar DeRozan was not on the floor. That's a lot of data. No matter if you like it, no matter if you use these stats, whatever the case may be, it's hard to argue against several different specific data points. That, 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 that range over the entire spectrum. So it's the eyeball test, it's the win-loss, it's the plus-minus, it's all of it. So you signed DeMar DeRozan to a three-year, $65 million contract or something along those lines. And I was like, well, you kind of just made a move to kind of balance your team with Lonzo, who's young, who plays defense, who's not looking to score. And then your next move, you spend on a, an... An aging player who only looks to score. So once that happened, I'm like, all right, man, the Bulls, they ain't for real. We know how this is going to play out. Wrong. I was wrong. The Chicago Bulls are fucking playing extremely well at the time of this recording. Seven games, one in a row. And I have to give credit where credit is due. DeMar DeRozan is playing some of the best basketball he's ever played. And this guy is the first NBA player ever. Not in the shot clock era. Not since the last 20 years. Not the first guy since player X. The first guy ever to hit two 
game-winning buzzer beaters in back-to-back days. Not back-to-back games, but back-to-back days. The Chicago Bulls had a back-to-back first at Indiana, secondly at Washington. DeMar DeRozan hit two three-pointers to win the game at the buzzer each night. (laughs) Yo, how could I come on here and not say I was fucking wrong? How could I not do it? I still don't know why the, I, I don't, it doesn't register with me how the Bulls are playing this well right now. But guess what? I don't have to understand it. You feel me? We don't have to understand anything for real. If something is happening, like dog, I don't know why the sky is blue. I'm sure there are people out there who do, but I don't wake up every day trying to understand it. I accept the shit. I don't know why, but the sky is blue. I don't know why the Chicago Bulls are winning. But who am I to need to know? They're one of the best teams in the league. And when you watch their games, they're extremely entertaining. And as someone who hated the Bulls growing up, someone who despised the Bulls growing up, I cannot lie. The league is better when the Bulls are relevant. There's just certain teams that just meet. And it's not to dismiss the small markets. But as a Knicks fan, I don't care if you despise the Knicks. Everybody knows when the Knicks are good. When Not even have to be good, just relevant. It improves the league. When the Celtics, I hate the Celtics. When the Celtics are relevant, the league is better. The Lakers, the Bulls. Like This is just, you know, this is just what it is. There's no point of arguing it. We all understand this. And that the Bulls are so good this year, it helps the overall product. Sometimes we get lost in the why. We try to figure this out. We try to understand. We try to prod and poke and try to elicit a reaction and try to do all of these things to get a a, a grasp as to why something is happening. As opposed to just being like, yo, I don't know, but it's happening. So I'm not going to waste another second or another ounce of energy. It's like distracted or trying to figure out something as opposed to just enjoying it. And unfortunately, that happens too much when it comes to sports talk. Bama is trying to figure out why, Le- why people don't like LeBron or why LeBron thinks he's as good as Jordan or why he's not as opposed to just enjoying LeBron. This is year 17. We don't have that many years left of LeBron in the NBA. And too many people have spent the bulk of his career trying to tell you why he's not good. Tom Brady's in his fucking 40s. (laughs) Just won the Super Bowl, has as good a chance as anybody else to win it this year. And so many people don't like him because of fucking Deflategate. The greatest quarterback ever. You go down the line, there's so many people, whether it's attitude, people didn't like T.O. T.O. was one of the most, people didn't like Randy Moss. People didn't like Floyd Mayweather because he's boring or because of the out of the field stuff. And I get that off the field or off the, the ring stuff. I get that. But if we just stick to the sports, people tried to downgrade Serena Williams saying that she never played anybody, despite the fact 
that she beat all these other women who were number ones or could have been number ones. She was so dominant that she made great players look like they were nobodies. When Serena ain't playing, they were. Bamas will spend all this time telling you why something's not great or trying to understand why something is as dominant as opposed to just sitting down, shutting the fuck up and enjoying it. I was wrong about the Chicago Bulls, but I'm not going to let my ego get in the way of me enjoying the Chicago Bulls. I was wrong about DeMar DeRozan, but I'm not going to let past experiences or his past his previous play and other stop, stops or data or whatever the case get in the way of being like, yo, this motherfucker just did some shit that nobody else did, has ever done. DeMar DeRozan, at this moment, halfway through the season, Right, we still have another half, but at this moment, Demar Derozan is absolutely in the MVP conversation. I'm glad we don't have this conversation in the NBA when there's 82 games, but right now it's hard to deny how great of a year he's having. You don't have to understand it. Because what's the point? Particularly if trying to understand something takes you away from appreciating it. Bulls fans, man, let me know. Y'all be talking a rack of shit this offseason. Y'all talk so much shit to me. Man, what you talking about? We got Zach Levine. We got Dida. I got you, bro. So this y'all moment. Take your shot now, baby. Hit me up at email, gmail, at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can tweet at the show, at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, y'all. Three quarters are now in the books which means we're coming up on our last topic for the week. But before we get to the fourth quarter, I want to let everyone know. I told you at the beginning of the show, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man of integrity. You feel me? I'm going to do it again now. Spoiler alert. If you have not seen the Spider-Man movie, dog, just stop the show here. You good. Matter of fact, don't stop the show here. Go back from the beginning and listen to the first three quarters again. It's been that great. I know modesty typically defeats me, but I'm being real. It's been great. But if you have watched Spider-Man No Way Home, I'm going to give you my thoughts on the movie. It's been two weeks. I feel like that's more than enough time. I've given you the spoiler, the spoiler alert. Easy for me to say. But if you have seen it, buckle up because I have thoughts. If you have it, this is your last chance to hit the pause or stop or preferably the rewind button. Because now I'm going to give you my thoughts, my lasting takeaways, my impression of the third Spider-Man movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, No Way Home. It's our fourth and final topic this week. Fourth. 2021. It started off with so many like doom and gloom predictions about the future of theater the future of movies, how streaming services will impact the mom and pops, though, if we're being real. There ain't that many mom and pop movie theaters anymore. You know what I mean? AMC and Regal have formed this conglomerate. But, you know, there were so many articles, so many discussions, so many conversations and stories about the, the end of the movie business as we've known it. And if I'm going to be honest... Dog, I'm not trying to go into a movie theater again. I know I, I, I know people who enjoy going to the movies. And, you know, I feel that movie theater popcorn tastes different than microwave popcorn. 
you know, there is, I guess they, it's foolish of me, someone who in my past has loved to share the experience of live sporting events with a community, right? I, if I can, if I can understand the aspect of, um, of community and shared experiences and how that increases a game, then how do I sound like if I don't then also understand the experience of shared experiences and the community of a theater, whether it's live performance or that of a movie. But personally, I do not feel compelled to ever walk into a movie theater again. And I feel so, I felt so much comfortable. And if we fast forward now to January or whatever, 2022, I would feel much more comfortable if these theaters would go straight to streaming, right? Because there is just by the nature of the experience, the nature of the environment, an increased danger. You're sitting in a, I would assume, poorly ventilated room with people depending on the theater, depending on the movie, side by side. If we are to worry about the the stability of the theater and the movie theater experience, we then can't ask those people to say, hey, that's not like in the airports, in the airplanes during the height of the pandemic, they would cut off a seat. So there were no people, passengers sitting side by side. I can't envision a movie theater saying, hey, we need to open up. the." Th if the argument is we need to be open so we can keep our business alive, but then say, hey, but we need to make sure two people can't. There need to be two empty seats beside each, you know, moviegoer. But then you start doing the math and like, All right, that doesn't make much sense. In any event, the increase of streaming, like straight to streaming services, I thought that was a genius idea. And there is going to be more of that, particularly given the success of so many of these films, uh, Black Widow being one, Space Jam being another. There were so many of these movies, maybe we'll see with The Matrix, where these films went straight to these sites. And I hope that continues. But I also, for the people who feel like, yo, there is a, a added benefit of being in the same space with people. And this is not the, an apples to oranges comparison, but drive-ins. I was fortunate enough to be in a place where there are, you know, several different drive-ins and the two movies that I have seen or three movies that I have seen um, outside of a streaming service, whether it was James Bond, Shang-Chi, and then Spider-Man, which we'll get to, I saw in a, in a drive-in. But I will say this, and again, this will be your final spoiler alert. As someone who is not a moviegoer, being in a empty parking lot or whatever it is and hearing people in the cars beside me, in front of me, literally cheer, scream at events of a movie, though I'm not a moviegoer like I am a sports fan, I get it. That was kind of like, ah, uh, I get it. You know, Spider-Man, the movie, I'm not a fan of the actual character, Peter Parker. I wasn't a fan as a child. I wasn't a fan during the Tobey Maguire films. I didn't really see the other guy. And, I'm, you know, this one, because the way Marvel weaves all their characters through all this, like this continuous storyline, 
you know, he's harmless to a point. But the character of Spider-Man is just a fucking punk, man. And I was like watching this film and it, re it dawned on me. This is why it's hard for me to like Peter Parker. The guy asks Doctor Strange to, to help him out because he fucked up. If we are to take Far From Home as a Spider-Man film, which it was, he didn't have to do all of the things with Mysterio. Mysterio played him, he felt away, and then Mysterio played him in his last moment alive. Peter Parker got out of it fairly, you know, scotch-free. He and his friends couldn't get into the university. But had he just done what everybody told him to do, hey, just ask, just vouch for this, vouch for your friends, you would have been... You may not have gotten what you wanted, but it wouldn't have been that bad. But no, this guy goes to his homeboy, who's a wizard. He asks for help. And then as the wizard is doing something that everybody's telling him he shouldn't, he's asking for this and this audible, and he's asking for this extra thing and over and over again, and he causes the problem. The main conflict in this film is caused by Peter Parker. Bomb. As he is trying to fix this by the assistance of Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange like, dog, you asked me something and then you were super, super reckless when I was telling you to be quiet. You caused this issue. This is what I need you to do. Go get these Bamas, zap them, they come here, and then we send them back to their universe where, yes, they ended up dying, but that was their fate. This motherfucker's like, no, you helped me. I created this problem. You're trying to help me get out of this problem. I'm going to lead you into this dimension because I don't want your help. I want to do it my way. And then what did that lead to? Your aunt died, bro. <laughs> you feel me? You did all of this shit. And then because you didn't want to listen, you didn't want to take people who, whose advice you should have, people who know better than you, your aunt dies. So in this moment in the movie where, you know, I'm hearing people sob and people are sad and all this other shit, I have no empathy for this character at all. I have no sympathy. Because he caused it. The movie then goes to its climax. And again, the, the two other Spider-Men, they come in and, you know, they're fighting the, 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 the enemies and they're, you know, changing, quote unquote, changing them. But as the last fight happens, you see the cracks of the multiverse. And Dr. Strange is like, bro, I can't do shit anymore. And then Peter Parker's like, hey, man, this last thing. Like, he fucked up so many times. Think about it. On his last fuck up, he's like, bro, just make sure everybody forgets who I am. People could know who Spider-Man is, but if no one has ever heard of Peter Parker, even my friends and loved ones, it's fine. So the movie ends with him being a ghost. No record of who he is, no school. He's not going to college. His girlfriend doesn't know who he is. His best friend doesn't know who he is. His aunt is dead. His uncle's already been dead. Iron Man is dead. Nobody knows who this kid is. Not even Doctor Strange. I can't feel sorry for him. And the biggest takeaway that I have for Spider-Man is that this little punk brought all this shit on himself. At every turn. 
Iron Man, dog, just be the neighborhood Spider-Man. He ain't want to listen. Guess what happened? Goes off to the field trip. Man, just chill out. Gets played. And I'll give him a little bit of bail here. Nick Fury was asking and pleading him for help. But still. And then finally, you ask for help for Doctor Strange. He he gives you help. And while he's doing it, you fuck up the spell. The spell is fucked up. You don't even know. Doctor Strange like, hey, this is what I need you to do. Bomb. He's telling you how to get out of this. You put him in this dimension where he can't actually physically tell you how to do it. And then your aunt dies. And then the multiverse is cracking. And then the last thing, you ask Dr. Strange for help one last time. And now no one knows who you are. Bro, that's all on your head. All of it. But I don't want this to be like I'm poo-pooing the movie. Because I thought the movie was really, really well done. And though I'm not a Spider-Man fan, I can acknowledge how rewarding some of the surprises, quote-unquote surprises. Because I thought it was pretty clear. You can't do a trailer showing Dr. Ock and the Green Goblin talking about the multiverse where everybody else is like, okay, well then, yeah, obviously Tobey Maguire and Andrew from the social network, they're all going to be in the movie. Like, I think we all knew it. And they made this big thing about, hey, don't spoil, no spoilers. Nah, man, we knew it, what time it was. In fact, the biggest surprise for me as someone who is not a Spider-Man fan was in the first six minutes of the movie, you see Daredevil. And I was like, yo, if this is what we about to get, if like this is part of phase four, whatever the fuck we're going to call this, I'm all the way down. That show, those characters, they're too good for Marvel just to be like, ah, we're not going to use it. Too great of a response, too strong of shows for people just to be like, ah, no Daredevil, no Punisher. Nah, bro. That's, that's, that's just wasted money right there. So the fact that they gave you Daredevil so early in the film, coupled, coupled with uh, Fisk, Kingpin, being in Hawkeye around the same time, that makes me feel that, okay, we've, we've got something here with Daredevil. I hope, at least. But again, moving away from my disdain and just my lack of appreciation for the character of Peter Parker, the film was really, really strong. You know, um talking to my girl about a show, um, Billions. And I was telling her how, you know, my, my sister and my brother-in-law put me onto the show, but I got off the show because for far too long, they flirted with real danger. But no one ever had to pay the ultimate price. So one of the reasons why I love The Wire so much is one of the reasons why I enjoyed Game of Thrones early on. Because when you play at high stakes, People have to, you, there have to be casualties. You know, you watch Billions for the first three or four seasons. Like, uh-oh, is this guy going to lose his bar license? Is this guy going to get arrested for, you know, bank fraud or whatever, insider training, trading? And it comes real, real close, and then nothing happens. Then it comes real, real close on the other end of the uh, pendulum, pendulum, and then nothing happens. In this movie, they flirted and they pretended as if nothing was going to happen, and then shit got real. And I appreciated that, especially from a superhero movie. It wasn't as if Spider-Man got out of this scotch-free. No, he lost his aunt and he lost everyone who he's ever cared about. They don't know who he is. I thought that was dope that they were able to make a movie that has all of the the fanfare and the, the payoffs for the fans. But also 
yo, this is going to hurt. I thought that was really well done. But my overall and my largest takeaway is still very, very simple. Fuck Peter Parker, man. He is a punk. However, I will say this. There are questions that I have about the timeline. They did a really, really good job in terms of if you watch the end of Venom 2. Of explaining, you know, Venom was able to transport himself to a different universe because he's a what, symbiote or whatever they call it. So it made sense that in the end of the movie No Way Home, Venom is in the universe of Peter Parker, though he has no concept of anything about Spider-Man or Peter Parker, right? Because the 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 spell said anyone who knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man would able would be able to infiltrate that universe that Peter Parker, Doctor Strange, Marvel Cinematic Avengers universe. <clears throat> if you did not see Venom, that would be confusing to you, right? Because Venom has no idea who Peter Parker is. So why would he be able to be in that universe, right? But if you did see Venom, they explained that. So good for them. I do wonder about Vulture, because if you've seen any of the Morbius's trailers, they show Michael Keaton's character. Now, I don't know if that's the Vulture character from the original Homecoming film. But if it is, they're going to have to explain or maybe Morbius is in the Avengers universe. I don't know. It just kind of felt strange saying, yo, are they doing this? Because if Vulture is in. Vulture and Morbius are in the Avengers universe. That means there is no Venom tie to Morbius. And that all looks kind of crazy given the friction between Sony and Marvel. But maybe they explain that, you know, again, we've talked about this in the past. When it comes to the benefit of the doubt, Marvel, they've earned that. So we'll see. But those were very particular, peculiar instances as it as it pertains to how they will tie everything together with their multiverse uh quest as it pertains specifically to spider-man in the spider-man universe but overall the film was very very good it was entertaining even though i am not a peter parker fan but if you are a fan of the earlier spider-man films or just the character the cartoons or the comics I would recommend it. It's a good film, and I believe that if you are a fan, you'd love it even more. It's been a hell of a year for Marvel. When you think about WandaVision, to Captain and Winter Soldier, to Loki, which was, in my opinion, looking back on it now, Loki was probably the best thing they put out. All the way to Shang-Chi, to Wanda or Black Widow, The Eternals, and now Spider-Man. Given the state of everything that the world has had to endure, let alone production, costs, budgets, the whole nine, that's a hell of a year. That's a hell of a year. And I'm so very much looking forward to watching Doctor Strange, hopefully in the comfort of my own home, but maybe in the comfort of my own car. All right, y'all. Let me know what you think about Spider-Man. Let me know what you think about my my disdain for Peter Parker or anything in between. 
Remember, you can always email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. And if you'd be so kind, head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to pods. Find the show, The Quarterly Report, spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Find the show. And if you wouldn't mind, leave a small review. Doesn't have to be very long. But just let me, let your friends, let the world know why you enjoy, in my humble opinion, the greatest sports podcast that there is today. Just write a few words, rate and review the show. I greatly appreciate it. And enjoy the first week of the new year. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your family, your friends. Get back to work. Be safe. And I will see you guys right back here next week for another episode of the Quarterly Report.